Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, hello, and welcome to our very first episode of Your Table's Ready. I'm your host, Carol Hadar. I've got a day job in tech, but I'm obsessed with finding the best places to go out in London. But even more, I love hearing the stories of how they began and finding out who the entrepreneurs are behind the magic. So that's what this show's about. Fantastic food and how those businesses were built. I usually record these interviews live on location, but since the lockdown, I've had to do some interviews, like today's, over the phone. And let me tell you, the phone is where tech issues lie. You might notice some of the audio changes, but also you might not. And either way, who cares? We're all just here to have fun and take our minds off coronavirus. Today on the show, we have Pizza Pilgrim's co-founder, James Elliott. Pizza Pilgrims is basically the place you're hitting up if you're ever in the mood for pizza. You're going to hear about how the Elliott brothers quit their day jobs to start a business they knew nothing about. Then how that business grew from two guys serving pizza out the back of an ape van into a 300-person, 13-location operation. You're also going to hear that you can, in fact, pay for a service in pizza. So if you're interested in food startups, creating a business through passion, or just miss thinking about pizza, you're honestly going to love this. Actually, before I started recording this, I asked my partner if there was anything he wanted to add, if I've missed any questions. He just looked me dead in the face. I could murder a pizza pilgrims right now. So I figured that's where we'd start the show. Before we dive into their story, I asked James, will we be able to get pizza pilgrims during the lockdown? Yeah, so very excitingly on Wednesday, after a month of lockdown, we've, um, we've opened one of our pizzerias. So Victoria is now open. Our Victoria pizzeria is open for delivery. Uh, so it's that going out on Deliveroo. Uh, so kind of anyone within about a mile and a half of Victoria Station can get delivery pizza from us. But then on Wednesday this week, we're launching something that we're, I'm really excited about. Uh, it's called Pizza in the Post, and basically it's one of our it's it's like one of our normal pizza boxes, but inside is a liner that holds eight different little pots that's got all the ingredients to make two of our margarita pizzas in a frying pan at home. And yeah, it's it like this was this was a technique we came up with about eight or nine years ago. How can you make Neapolitan pizza at home without a one ton, 500 degree pizza oven? And if you use a hot, dry frying pan and your grill in your oven, you can replicate the heat of our pizza ovens and create like a really good Neapolitan pizza at home. So, yeah, we, we signed we, we put the um, we put like a sign up pre-order thing on our website yesterday and we've had over a thousand people sign up for one in 12 hours bad of course i mean i want to get one do you have to be is this also in the victoria area or can you be so no else? this is the thing that makes it like hopefully a really exciting thing that we'll be able to do after you know post corona world but it's national so it's um it's it's sent out through dpd in the post using a insulated parcel and uh ice packs that's, that's awesome Oh man, I can't wait for that. Thank you. Thank you for no making worries. that. <laughs> um, okay, so we could talk about Corona for the whole episode, but I'd actually rather it be a kind of like point of escapism for our listeners. Um, I'd love to talk about how you guys created Pizza Pilgrims, where it came from. I mean, so you created this with your brother. Uh, were you guys always close? Like, where'd you guys grow up? What's your background? Yeah. Uh, I'm so up for not talking about coronavirus. Let's pretend it's not happening. So yeah, how we started. So me and my brother, um, we do get on. We're very close, but we're also very different. So he's two and a half years older than me, and you know, Oxford educated, experimental psychology student, straight A's, 
head boy, that kind of person. And I was Nat, that person. So yeah, it's actually been really good over the last 10 years working together. It's been a really good relationship because, you know, the cartoon image is that he is the intelligent financial one and I am the sort of more happy-go-lucky entrepreneur creative one. The truth is that actually there's a lot of crossover and I, I find it interesting how often his analytical brain is useful in a more creative setting and how often my more maybe entrepreneurial spirit is useful in the financial setting. So it's a good, I think it's been a really good little crossover of skills between me and my brother. But yeah, we started off, I was working in TV production and my brother was working in advertising and we were both a combination of being really shit at our jobs and hating it. So we were just like, right, there's got to be something better out there. So we just quit on a whim. And um, the street food thing was just starting to happen in London. I remember going to visit uh, what was the meat wagon back then. It's now become meat liquor. But back then, Scott and Yanni and an ambulance in a car park in Peckham and sort of 3,000 people who turned up for a burger off Twitter. And it's like, this is crazy. And um, yeah, it was. And then street food was such an easy way into food. We both grew up in a pub so we kind of grown up around food but then my mum had always been very clear that we should not go into catering oh really <laughs> the How hours come? and the kind of you know she loved doing it she ran she ran pubs and hotels for 20 years but she was just like you know there's an easier life <laughs> yeah were you guys already like were you cooking as you were growing up or were you just in the pub atmosphere so I'd done quite a bit of cooking I, I'd cooked in the, in the pubs and then sort of chased probably the shortest Michelin star career ever as in working in Michelin star kitchens um I, I worked at Marco Pierre White's for eight hours <laughs> uh, and then I, I went and did like ski seasons I cooked in chalets and ski seasons and then came back and did like catering like for events and then and then yeah went into television did something completely different so it was kind of always a, a feeling that we kind of wanted to get back into it is what we grew up with you know the apple never falls that far from the tree kind of thing and then when the street food thing happened, suddenly you could do it. We we started Pizza Pilgrims on a credit card. So we, we took out a credit card with a 10 grand limit on it and bought this little van because every good street food business needs a van. And the, and the idea sort of started coming about that we would fly out to Italy. We chose pizza because we knew nothing about pizza. So it was like, let's choose a product that we know nothing about that we can just go and learn about and make it this whole learning exercise. And, you know, Twitter and Instagram, well, Twitter was just starting at the time. And it was like, we can take people on a bit of a journey with us and we can, we'll buy the van in Sicily and then we'll drive this little three-wheeled tuk-tuk from Sicily back to London on a pizza pilgrimage. And so I guess it would, it kind of would have been a fun thing to do, even if it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's how I would have thought. Total court it, yeah. life crisis. Let's start and, but we, um, the little, I mean, I don't know if you've seen these little vans, but they're the three, they're the little three-wheeler tuk-tuks, the ones that you normally see coffee machines out the back of in, in London. But we bought one and I remember Google Mapsing the time it takes to drive from Sicily to London and then planned a whole trip around that. And then when we got in this little tuk-tuk, its max maximum speed was 18 miles an hour. So it took us six weeks. It wasn't meant to be a 10-day trip. It ended up taking us six weeks to get home. Oh, my God. Thought, How did you know where to stop along the way? And, and where did you find you? Did you find the truck online and then you were like when we get there, we'll figure it out? Or did you kind of speak to people before about where well, to that stop? Was the, that was the original plan. The original plan was buy the van and we'll just start driving back and we'll just, you know, blag our way around and see see what we can get out of people. <laughs> and then just before we left on the trip, it ended up getting, one of the last things I did before I left working TV production was pitch it 
which is really surreal. So I'd kind of gone from working in production to suddenly uh, pitching my own TV idea without like a hope in hell of getting anything. And then like, really soon before we were about to leave, this production company got involved and were like, we'd love to come and film it. So we ended up, you know, with no, with no, no channel had bought the pro- program or anything. We all just decided to make this TV show like off our own backs and see if we could sell it at some point. So at that point, we ended up with a crew of six people following us in a little minibus. And we made this six part travel documentary series about driving through Italy and it ended up going on the Food Network. Oh my God, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. And then <laughs> hilariously, because I think British TV is quite well received around the world. Because I think we've got good, we produce good TV, essentially, I think is the idea. So it got sold. The TV show ended up getting sold to like loads of different really weird places. Like it was on KLM Airlines for a long time. And like, I remember friends of mine being like, why am I in a hotel in Singapore and you're on the TV? Oh, <laughs> we had this hilarious thing where a woman, a woman turned up once to one of our cooking courses in London and she was from Lagos, Nigeria. And we had no idea, but apparently our TV show had been on like hard repeat in Lagos, Nigeria for about two years. And we were quite a big deal. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, so- um, where can we find that now? Is it on YouTube? I don't know is the answer. I think my mum's got a copy. Yeah. And I think if you go to Lego sometime soon, it'll be on TV there. That's good. Yeah, I think that might have, I think it's, I think, well, that was about nine years ago now. So I think you might, there might be some stuff on YouTube. I, I actually love that you put the pilgrimage on your site. Like, I'd definitely be down for doing that when we can travel yeah. again. Well, we, we, we did get approached from a travel agency last year asking whether we wanted to, like, do some guided pizza pilgrimages which would have been amazing so yeah we're going to look into that but yeah so we so yeah so just to finish the kind of story we got back we drove this amazing trip through italy went through naples found our style of pizza with neapolitan pizza and then got back to london and installed a pizza oven in the back of this little tuk-tuk and set up on berwick street market in soho and for like a year and a half we traded as a street food business come rain or shine and we did the market during the day and then we did events and festivals at the weekends and evenings and kind of spent a year and a half just really learning how to make pizza, I suppose. I think I read somewhere that at the time there was only like two stalls. We were the first hot food stall on the on the market. So it was for like for the last 80 years, it's been a sort of man and boy fruit and veg market. And then uh, hilarious when we turned up, this is one of the things my brother is brilliant at is that he ha- absolutely hounded the council to get us a market stall. That market pitch cost us £10 a day. So cheap. Have a shop in Soho was ten pounds a day, so that was a really good thing. And the the fruit and veg guy used to find us very funny because we turn up and we sort of be running around like headless chickens. They used to call us the Apprentice, like 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 we were like the Apprentice team. <laughs> but yeah, that, and then and then after a year and a half, we um we kind of you know got ourselves a bit of a following and understood our products a bit better, and we opened our first restaurant August first, two thousand thirteen, and then it's just been this mad journey since then. We opened. Restaurant Pizzeria number 13 was open for one day before the word that we shall not say is lockdown. Right. Yeah. Gosh, that's that's mental. Do you still own all of the all of the restaurants? Yeah. Yeah. Me and my brother, we have investors now, but uh, me and my brother are still the, the majority shareholders in the business, which is good. So we're still in control. Oh, that's cool. Just taking a few steps back. Your first restaurant was on Dean Street, right in front of a Pizza Express. Were you concerned about the location? I mean, Soho's great, but being right in front of another pizza place, even if it's like a different style pizza. Um, and then wasn't that really expensive? Well, I think the first thing was massive shout out to Russell Norman, the guy who started and run Polpo. He was really helpful in the, in the early days. We just, 
he used to come and buy pizzas off the market and then one day we just said can we buy you a beer and ask you some questions about restaurants and he actually had looked at that site in dean street for a pulpo but had decided it was too small for him so he kind of sent it our way and then yeah of of the original money that we invested or we 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 managed to get off people to invest it was what was it about 70 percent of that money went on the premium so just the the handshake to get that site right so then we spent almost nothing doing it up me me and tom i built the oven tom painted it and it was a very kind of rough and ready restaurant but yeah i think we thought location was really important to like be we our, our street food store was in soho so we thought felt like our customer was there and just the, you know mm-hmm. in 2012 the soho food scene was so exciting it was all kind of just kicking off and you know and then yeah being being next to pizza express it was a bit of a sort of david and goliath moment i don't know how conscious that was of us but i think there was definitely a thing of like pizza express before the whole neapolitan pizza thing happened was the kind of benchmark for everyone that's what pizza was in the uk and i think we just felt there was so much more in the pizza genre than just pizza express although i love pizza express i have not a bad word to say about them i think there was something about you know having two styles of pizza on one corner that was quite I don't know what's the word what's the word that's less yeah less uh pedantic than poetic <laughs> right right so you said you you just got investors you didn't really you didn't go to like a VC or anything like that no no, no. I mean the, this thing this whole project has just been we we literally started the street food business as a six month like let's just quit our jobs and do something and then that step kind of went all right and then the next step was maybe we could open a restaurant the idea of opening more than one restaurant was is was just like i hadn't even thought about it it wasn't even like a possibility so it has just been a every step of the way we just kind of slightly upped our ambition for the thing so yeah the big goal for a long time was could we open a restaurant and it's just very surreal to be sitting here today with 13 open it's just crazy but um yeah we, we 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 were very conscious to not invest our own money Okay. Is there a reason for... I think there was a couple of reasons. I think one of them was just, it's terrifying, like investing your own money. And, you know, Tom was just about to get married and they they had a mortgage on a flat. And so if he was going to have to use a mortgage on a flat as a personal guarantee, it would have just been horrific. And, and I think the other thing is, if you're investing your own money, I think you lose some clarity. And, you know, part, a, whole big, a big part of being a startup business is taking risks and sort of going where the opportunity takes you. And I think if your whole life's on the line, I don't think you're willing to take, to make those leaps and sort of take those risks. I think it will become a bit too like terrifying, I suppose. And then lastly, you know, the person that we got involved, um, Rupert Cleveley, he'd, he'd run a whole bunch of an amazing chain of pubs called Geronimo Inns. And so he came with it, you know, he brought a whole bunch of experience into the, it was a bit of a sort of dragon's den experience. So he really helped us out with, um, and, and it's still a big part of the business today. Did you write a business plan or were you kind of just like, whatever we're doing at the stall, we're happy with that. We're just going to do that, but in a bricks and mortar. There was a business plan. I remember it. I didn't write it or really look at it, but my brother <laughs> wrote something. But it wasn't, you know, it was a one pager. Yeah. I mean, looking back, we were so naive. But I think you kind of have to be. I think it's much better to be naive. Otherwise, if I'd known everything that we were going to kind of take on, I probably wouldn't have done it <laughs> in the first yeah, place. Yeah. It just would have been too much to sort of, but yeah, I think, I think that, that whole idea of people I've chatted to afterwards about like, Oh, I'm looking to start my own thing up. 
you know, maybe asking for advice or tips on it is I find that a lot of people who have been, you know, coming up, developing an idea to start a business over the last five years while sitting at their desk of the job that they hate, they've developed this idea into such a perfect kind of unchangeable thing in their heads that when they come to launch it or open it, they're not willing to make any changes. I think you have to be open to making loads of little tweaks and changes to your concept when you start, because you know, it, it depends how the public are going to react to your product or so I think, yeah, th- I think that was really important to not have too firm a plan when we started. Yeah, that's really good advice. Did you guys come up with the logo and the interior design and the vibe of the restaurants by yourselves or did you hire someone? Um, almost to a fault. I think, I think looking back, we had a massive chip on our shoulders and something to prove, but we literally did everything, like every single thing that we did. In, in, and almost, I think probably our, one of our biggest faults today is still that. I think we really wanted to prove to ourselves that we could we, we could understand every part of the business. And I think we really wanted to make sure that we had a hand in everything. So, yeah, I mean, interior design, I did. design. That's awesome. You guys did a great job. I mean, you didn't have to hire anyone, anyone for any help in that. Yeah, I think that's part of like our generation, I suppose. Like we are we are the the laptop generation who can kind of, you know, if you're a bit savvy with stuff, you graphic design, website design, marketing, using social media, it it does give you an incredible amount of control. I think it wasn't 15 years ago that you'd have, you know, if you, you'd have had to have had a marketing department and a graphic designer in-house. Now we just mostly do it all ourselves and it, it keeps it, um, it's nice not having lots of red tape. You know, there's not, not, not lots of sign-offs and lots of different departments. I mean, now we're at a point where we've got, you know, we've got, we've got a marketing manager, but yeah, we still, we still try and keep that very lean startup approach of not having too many people involved. What about supplies? I think I read somewhere that you import all your ingredients. So a lot of our ingredients come direct in from Naples. So we, we started off, uh, when we started with the market stall, we met this supplier called Salvo 1968, uh, and they were actually just starting as well. So there was a really nice kind of synergy of startup there. And we've just stayed with them the whole time. I think that was another slightly different approach that we took that I think maybe historically restaurants don't normally take, which is that we really tried to sort of stick with the same relationships. I think it's quite easy to try and shop around a lot. Whereas I think I think maybe it was something that my mum had, uh, had, had built into us, which is like build build relationships and sort of try and stick with people. And in the long run, it works out better for you. And actually, I tell you what, so we wouldn't mention coronavirus, but right now I think we're definitely cashing in some of our relationship chips that we've built up over the years by staying with the same people because all our suppliers and people we work with are being really supportive and helping us. So it pays off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I think the other thing was trying to keep it really simple. So we managed to find a supplier that could supply all of our food, you know, and then it all comes in on one van. You're not kind of trying to shop around and get different things from different people to get better prices right right were you still making the pizzas when you started the dean street place or did you hire some people to help out no so i was the head chef and tom was the manager at the first site again it goes back to that like obsessive like we wanted to do everything thing that was a i think i call those the dark days when (laughs) when we were trying to like build a business and also be the head chef and manager i don't think we quite taken into account how much work 
just running a building was going to be and employing people. I think we had we'd had the street food stall, and it was like, oh, so we just take the food inside. It's going to be easier if anything. But the amount of admin involved in, you know, utilities bills and you know all of the all of the stuff that employing people properly takes and managing relationships with your landlord and the council and waste removal, all that kind of stuff. I don't think we've quite seen that coming. So yeah, for about a year, maybe less than that, maybe it was like nine months. It was quite an intense, like, I think that was when we were most living our kind of cliche startup, 12 hours a day, seven days a week kind of life. Were you paying yourselves by that point? Uh, we, once we opened the restaurant, we pay, we were paying ourselves. Yeah. Unbelievably, though, I was eating a lot of pizza, but in that time, I lost three stone. Oh, wow. So it's a good diet if you want to eat pizza and lose weight. Oh, that's great. Uh, what, so what would your biggest learning from that be? I think if I did it again, I don't know if I'd be able to do it again. I was sort of 26 and like absolutely full of energy. I don't know if I'd be able to do it again now. Um, again, I think the naivety thing of not quite knowing what was coming helped a little bit. But um, I think I'd try and do it fairly similar for me just throwing yourself at it and trying to understand every part of the business. I think especially now is really paying dividends because I feel confident that I understand everyone's job, everyone that we employ, you know, we employ almost 300 people now. And I just, I feel very happy that on the way up, I did every single person's job and know it and understand, you know, what they'd be complaining about or what they find easy or hard. So I think you need to do that. I think you need to spend that time when you're starting your business just to really understand every part of it. And then once you do, you can talk from a position of confidence about most things. Yeah. Do you have a, like a head office or do you just go around to each of the restaurants and that sort of? Uh, no, office? we do have an office now. It's called the Pizza Base. Oh, uh, nice. And uh, yeah, the guys at um, Shaftesbury, Shaftesbury Estates, our landlords uh, of our site in Kingley Court, they very kindly gave us a really good deal on a top floor office in or just off Carnaby Street. So yeah, we do. It's it. And I tell you what, we didn't we didn't have a good office for years. And then two years ago, we moved into a proper office. And the difference that that makes to the team and to productivity went up so much when we got a proper spiritual, physical home for everyone to go to and like get work done and have meetings and stuff. Tom, my brother, was very keen that we kept all of the finances in-house. So I think for our size of business, we have a big finance team. We're five of us in the finance team. One of the first people that we employed at pizza pilgrims was sophie our finance director who unbelievably came off twitter she was a she she was an amazing hire for us because she she joined us as we posted on twitter that we're looking for someone and she was into food but she uh had just had two young kids uh and had left the kind of corporate world of finance and was just looking for something to do for a couple days so she joined us as a bookkeeper for two days a week and it was amazing because she brought all of this big business experience and so she's helped to build this great finance team in the business and she's our finance director now and she has a team of five did you hire her after the first place or like the 10th place she let me remember this when we first opened our first restaurant dean street sophie was not with us and then i think it was then that we put a message out on twitter saying we need someone to help us with our accounts okay so it was pretty early on yeah it was very early on but it was great it was it was a good it was a perfect thing of like, Sophie obviously came from a really, you know, loads of experience, but because she just had two young kids, she, the thing that she was looking for most was flexibility in her work. And we could offer her that. So she could work one morning, one day, and then she could work the afternoon the next day and pick up the kids the next day. So I think it was interesting for her that it wasn't about the money. It was about flexibility of work more than anything. 
Um, right, right. So it's a good thing for startups. If you're looking for great, talented people, but you don't necessarily have the money to pay them like we didn't, offering them different things, you know, like flexibility of working hours and stuff makes a big difference to, to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an amazing trade-off. Yeah. I read somewhere you were hesitant about the Kingly Court location, but then I also read that on a good busy day, it does about 1,200 pizzas a day. So what was your hesitation? What made you go for it in the end? That is good research skills. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were. We were really nervous. We had one restaurant and it was also in Soho. It was on the other side of Soho and it was a seven minute walk. I remember walking it many times to time it. But at the time, Kingly Court was this kind of quite bizarre little cut through between Carnaby Street and Regent Street. It wasn't what they've made it into now, which is this kind of like bustling 12 restaurant food court thing. I think we were the second, third restaurant maybe to go in there. But I mean, yeah, it also showed how little we knew about restaurants and the restaurant industry, because that is, however you cut it, a stone cold classic restaurant site, property wise. It's great footfall, you know, good size, great visibility. It's it's a corner site on, and it's got an entrance on both streets. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was just showed how stupid and unexperienced i'll never forget we were standing outside kingly street sort of scratching our chins pondering as to whether we should take it and we'd, we'd invited down the guy that was helping us do our pr at the time warren johnson who runs wpr huge agency now uh, and he's like a very kind of like gets gets things done kind of guy and he turned up on his mobile we went he was like he sort of voice he put his phone to his chest and was like is this the site and we were like yeah yeah that's the site and he's like what the hell am I doing here? Take it. And went back on the phone call and walked off and that was the end of the meeting and we were like, okay, we'll take it then. Was it very, was it like very expensive? What was the, I mean, other than the, it was very close by and you weren't sure, but was it like a, a big leap financially? Um, no, it was a bigger restaurant than Dean Street for sure. Uh, and I think we were in two minds about the location thing because it was close and we were worried about cannibalizing our first restaurant. But at the same time, it was a much easier step in terms of like a new audience because it was, you know, people would have known us because of the market days, at least. Uh, I think financially, again, Shaftesbury Estates, who are an amazing landlord and are not just interested in the bottom line, the buck. They, they're really interested in like creating communities. They purposefully with Kingly Court, part of their strategy was to go out and find smaller businesses, sort of startups to, to create a bit more of an interesting area than just putting in some big name businesses that they know could trade well and in fact I think that was part of it that it was it's probably one of the best sites in London and they approached us which just never happens in the real world uh, yeah so I don't think we quite knew how good a site it was at the time and they also gave us really good terms to take it you anyway, know I'm very glad we took it because it ended up it's now the kind of backbone of our business and it helped us grow a lot quicker. How did you then go on to choose all the rest of the shops scattered around London? Um, I would say sporadically and with very little expertise. <laughs> we saw a lot of sites. I think that's kind of that seems to be the thing with restaurant property. You have to you have to see about twenty sites to find one that you like. So I think it's just about getting out there and seeing as many restaurant spaces as you can. But without sounding too cheesy, it definitely there is definitely a kind of like you just know when it's a, when it's a, when it's one you like. I don't know what, why that is or whether it's subconscious or not. But like I think with every site that we've taken, where there's always been for me and Tom this kind of like more gut based decision of like okay, this just feels right for some reason. Okay, so you didn't have anybody advising you. It was just you two going out, seeing places, and then yeah, this is it. 
yeah, to begin with, it was very much me and Tom. And then it was me, Tom and Rupert, our, our sort of lead investor. And then we got introduced to uh, a guy called Kieran Sherlock, who is the ex-property director of Yo Sushi. And I think he was making a choice at the time as well. We seem to have run into a lot of people who are making crossroads life decisions, but he was deciding that he didn't want to work in a big business as much. And he wanted to start going freelance and work with smaller independents. So that's when we met him and he's now our property director. Uh, and yeah, so as a result, we kind of, you know, we became good mates and he works for us freelance as opposed to having someone like on on the payroll as our property director as such. Yeah. Did you ever have to do any advertising? Um, no, we never, we've never done any, spent any money on actual like, you know, physical advertising of any sort. But we did, we did a deal, this Warren, this guy, Warren was introduced to us weirdly from the guys who started um, Meat Liquor because Warren was doing his PR at the time. And we met with Warren and Warren basically struck us a deal because I think he wanted to work with some smaller businesses as well as his, his Warren's business looks after big brands. But sometimes I think that working with the smaller startups can offer a PI to see like a different perspective sometimes. Or like, I think it's good if you're, if your client is Levi's that as a PR company, you're also working with more like grassroots businesses as well to get two different perspectives, I suppose. So he offered to do our PR for pizza. So we fed his office every week and uh, he gave us free PR. Right. Okay. That was really good. I think one of a, one of the assets that we had at Peace Programs was the story was quite easy to write because, you know, two brothers quit their job, drive through Italy in a three-wheel tuk-tuk and come back and set up on a market stall. That story got written a lot, which was great. And again, like definitely a lot to do with the fact that Tom just made sure there was a press release ready to go and that we had loads of photos and kind of made the job as easy as possible for the journalist. So I think that's a that was a big that was a big lesson early on is like get your little get your little media pack ready to go. Um, and then apart from that, it was like the street food world was very much based in Twitter uh, and that kind of word of mouth stuff. Uh, so I think Twitter and Instagram were we, we were pretty savvy with Twitter and Instagram, and I'm just at the moment trying to get my head around TikTok to see if um, <laughs> to see to see if we can we're going to do anything with TikTok. But I think we're probably more likely to do Facebook than we are TikTok. Is Twitter still your main no port we, of call? Instagram is is our main thing. Uh, oh, okay. Twitter we don't really use as much anymore. We kind of just respond to any questions people have and like post stuff that we post on Instagram on there. But, uh, okay where's the where's the van now by the way it's outside my outside my house in Brixton <laughs> oh just for fun or do you actually do any pizza in it no we, we still do festivals unbelievably that van is 10 years old now and it's driven over the Alps and had and since had a one-ton pizza oven put in its boot for the last eight years and it still drives and the van and the oven still works so we do every year we still do festivals and events so we did three or four music festivals last year. It's actually become a really nice thing for the team in the restaurants. So they get out of the restaurants for, you know, come come and do a festival for the weekend instead of being being in the restaurant. And especially a lot of our team are like young and European and are just in London for, you know, to experience London, I suppose. So, you know, the good English, the English music festival is one of the best in the world, I think. So bringing a whole bunch of Italians out to a field for the weekend and making pizza in a field is really good fun. That's awesome. That must have been like the best investment you guys made. In that little van. Yeah. Conchetta, God bless her, yeah. I think we'll, we'll, we'll retire her into like a shop or something one day and just sort of have her just, you know, put her out to pasture. I don't know. 
Yeah. Do you know Bob's Lobster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've got their van in their store. I'd so love it's really to, nice. Yeah, some of that would be great. Yeah, yeah. What is your favorite pizza in your restaurant? Uh, good question. If I'm feeling purist, the, I mean, it's pretty hard to beat a perfectly made margarita. Like whenever you go to, whenever, as a pizza maker, if you ever go to another pizzeria, you've always got to try the margarita because it's like the pizza you can't hide behind. It's a bit like going to a cocktail bar and ordering a martini because it's like, it's quite purist. And you, you know, you can, you can taste the dough, you can taste the mozzarella. And if, if the if the pizza chef isn't making a good margarita, he's not he's not a good pizza chef. But the there's this thing called do you know Induya? Yeah. When we started, Induya was not a thing. And we found it on our pilgrimage and we brought it back to London and we put it on a pizza and people went mad for it. And I think now Induya is everywhere. So I, I still say like, Oh, do you know Induya? And people are like, Yeah, I know Induya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, our Induya pizza has been on the menu since day one and is is we still sell an unbelievable amount of Induya pizzas. If our business was just Induya pizza and a beer on tap, I think we'd we'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you just have Italian beer? So we've always we've always had Moretti uh, on tap, but then we for craft beer we do this kind of um, England versus Italy thing. So at the moment it's Brixton Brewery. We've always worked with Brixton Brewery actually because um, they're my local, and um, and then an amazing brewery called. Birra del Borgo, who were kind of like, I describe them as the kind of brew dog of Italy. Oh, cool. But yeah, craft beer is, craft beer is something I've never really got into myself, but. Yeah, I'm a straight lager person as well. I like really bad lager. Yeah, yeah, Ice same. cold, <laughs> tasteless lager is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, is the pizza show a real thing? Oh yeah, ha! Pizza conference, that has been some of the most awesome, uh, yeah, Pizza Show. So Pizza Show is an unbelievably legitimate excuse to go to Las Vegas for five days with a bunch of your mates from work. Incredible. Um, yeah, so we took, a, we, took a, we took a group of us out there about three years ago, and it is more depressing than you might imagine. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, it's I don't know, it's, it's an expo. Have you ever been to an expo? Yeah. Expos are not, they're not that fun, it turns out. But it was really fascinating. We went over and it was, you know, it was very much focused on the kind of American style of pizza. But there was things like a lot of machines that kind of did things like a camera that you put on your pizza counter to, to count the amount of slices of pepperoni that go onto a pizza so that you can protect your your profit margins. And, and then, you know, oh, wow. the employee gets a printout of how well they performed in their shift. I mean, <laughs> like if I try to install that, on any of my Italian pizza chefs. I don't know what would happen. I, I couldn't even imagine it. Um, so yeah, it was very much kind of like big business American thing, but it was fun and it was, you know, it was it was five days in Vegas, basically. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. We did go, so we've just actually written um, a new book. So we wrote a book when we first did our, when we first started up, which was all of the recipes from our trip to Italy. And actually we've... Um, now that we've been in the business for 10 years, we've, we've just finished writing a book that's coming out at the end of this year, which is basically about the whole world of pizza. You know, the, everything from the business to the culture to where it came from to top 10 fictional pizzerias from movies, that kind of thing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and we, we kind of spent a long time thinking about the title uh, and we ended up calling it Pizza. Right on the nose marketing that was. Uh, <laughs> 
and and yeah, so this um, we went to going there and seeing you know how passionate Americans are for pizza, and just it was a whole different side because we knew the Naples traditional, authentic side of pizza, and to go to Vegas and to see you know what pizza means in Milwaukee. Uh, was fascinating. Right. Is it true that you're starting a pizza academy? Yep. We <laughs> it was open for one day before we got shut down. Oh. Because of coronavirus. But um, yeah, it's really exciting. We're we're we our thirteenth restaurant, which is uh, in Camden, is going to function predominantly. It's kind of fifty percent a restaurant and fifty percent a pizza academy. So we've got this really great kitchen at the back. It's got an open pizza kitchen, and it's got like bleacher style seating like it in like in a kind of university lecture theater and we're going to be training people how to be pizza chefs there we're going to be doing like customer facing courses but then it's also going to be um like a development platform for all of our all of our teams so they'll learn management training and finance training and yeah it's basically just kind of like a, a place where all of our teams can develop and learn to be better i love it like mcdonald's academy yeah it's a lot like that it's quite well i mean mcdonald's have incredible training but yeah. The idea was that I think in England, hospitality, working in restaurants, working in bars is kind of seen, well, we kind of refer to it as definitely not parent approved as a career choice out of university. But the truth is, is that the money is actually a lot better than people think in restaurants. And you might not want to stay in restaurants for your whole life. You might, it might not be a thing. But if you join us after university and become a manager at one of our restaurants and work with us for three years, you learn so much about like, because you kind of have your hand in everything. You're learning about, well, first off, you're managing a team of 25 to 30 people from all over the world. So your people skills just go through the roof because you're learning, you know, you're managing different cultures and, you know, everything. So that's great. And then you're also learning about finance and about marketing and about how to deal with tricky customers, how to, you know, learn about business. So it's, it's, it's a really sort of well-rounded place to cut your teeth and sort of maybe figure out what you want to do more in life. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we'll wrap up with when you're not eating pizza, where are you eating? Uh, definitely the best falafel. It's still Omar who runs the falafel stall on Barrow Street Market. Okay. He makes his own bread on a market stall, fresh, which is amazing. Um, I love Blacklock. If you, if you fancy eating like good meat, go to Blacklock. Barafina is still a favourite. The shoom. Um, for breakfast, always. Uh, what else is it? Patty and bun burgers, still absolutely killing it. Yeah, those are my favourites, I reckon. Awesome. Best bowl of noodles. Oh, that's, oh, if you've never been to Silk Road in Camberwell, you need to go there and you need to order the lamb skewers and you need to order big plate chicken and the homestyle cabbage and you will not be disappointed. Okay, good tip. <laughs> Um, thank you so much. I'm so excited for Pizza Pilgrims to open up again. I can't wait to get my frying pan pizza in the mail. Yeah, pizza in the post. Yeah, pizza in the post. Thank you so much. No worries. Good to speak to you. What a guy. I'm saying if you're taking one thing away from this episode, it's that you shouldn't waste your life dreaming about an idea. Don't sit at a job that you hate working at. Just quit that job, get on with it, and if nothing else, it'll be a fantastic adventure. And by the way, if you want to watch James and Tom's pilgrimage across Italy in 2011, you can find all the episodes on the Pizza Pilgrims YouTube channel. Right. I don't know about you, but I'm off to eat a lot of pizza. See you next week.